So we'll go ahead and pray. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word and our opportunity to study it tonight. Bless us as we do this study together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we have come to verse 41 in Exodus 12. Of course, we're, we've been experiencing the Passover, right? Verse 41, it came to pass at the end of 430 years, and it came to pass in that very day that all the legions of the Lord, or of Yahweh, went out of the land of Egypt. Now, uh, it's an interesting, I think we looked at this last time. Let's uh, about Yahweh. The legions, the armies, the hosts. See, that's, that's like the Lord of hosts, only it's backwards. Instead of the Lord of hosts, it's the hosts of the Lord or the legions of the Lord. That, uh, to me, that begs thought. It, 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 it requires some reflection and contemplation. It seems to me when you take that, when you take that, what does your translation say? The armies or legions or what? Armies, okay. It's the same word that you see. It's this, it's this word right here. It's about, which is uh, host, like Lord of hosts or, or army, Lord of armies. I always translate it Lord of armies or legions. Can it mean, and I, I'm going, this is a rhetorical question, which I'm going to answer before I ask it. I think it does mean this, okay? Can it mean that uh, an unnumbered, an innumerable host of angels were there with the people who were armies when they came out, making sure that everything was okay with them and that they could never be destroyed for 430 years. Well, look at that in verse 42. It says, A night of anticipation for Yahweh to take them out of the land of Egypt. This night is Yahweh's, guarding all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Now, that, that may have a very strong spiritual connotation here, that Israel, the children of Israel, throughout all of their generations, have a very spe special protection from Yahweh. Okay, this is why I say this. And I've, I, I've referenced this passage before. Someday, perhaps very soon, there's an invasion of Israel, of a confederation of nations. The primary nations that are identified in Ezekiel uh, 38 and 39, are Russia, modern term, Russia, Turkey, and Iran. Uh, Magog, Togama, and Persia. Along with other, other, other nations in confederate with them. And they will invade a land, the land of Israel in the latter days, it says. And Israel will, will, at that moment, Israel will not be 
believing Israel. They won't be believing. And in that greater context, Yahweh says, because there's a divine intervention that stops this invasion. And Israel is spared. Not only spared, Israel comes out smelling like a rose. Um, and it's right after that, apparently, that the Antichrist, according to Daniel, moves right in and tries to set up a seven-year covenant with Israel. But back to Ezekiel's war. Uh, if, this, if this was something that happened today, and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're in the close proximity of the time, uh, I take note of these things. It's very interesting to study that uh, for the first time in history, Turkey, Russia, and Iran all have armies in Syria, which is just right next to, right next to Israel. Okay, so Israel is unbelieving. So Israel is not a theocracy today, although the regathering of Israel is prophetic. But the, but the wonderful thing about the Word of God is when God says He's going to do something, it isn't, it isn't dependent upon the one to whom the promise is given. It's dependent upon the one who gives the promise. So here you have unbelieving Israel for the most part. And if, if, you, read, if you read the, the rabbis' works like I do, recent articles and, and, and they're, they're, they're Jewish scholars, they just say awful things about Christianity and about the Christ, about Jesus. They just say awful things about him. They even twist and pervert. See, they make in Isaiah, for example, the suffering servant. By his stripes we are healed and all that. They make that out to be Isaiah himself. See, they don't, they don't, they just totally disregard uh, the messianic part of it. So I'm trying to point out how, how deep in unbelief they are. But God has made a covenant with these people. And this covenant with Israel, if you study it all the way out through the Old Testament, Essentially what God says to the world is this. You're going to know that I'm God just because you can't destroy Israel. I don't care what kind of spiritual condition Israel is in. I'm going to look after them and my word is at stake here. And I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for my name's sake. And you can do whatever you want to do, but you're not going to succeed. Okay? So this, this awful confederation of militaries come against little Israel and they fail miserably. They just utterly defeated. Um, and, and the whole political scene of the world changes at that point in time. Yahweh says, well, the people, when this happens, the people ask, this is all in Ezekiel, is this that of which the prophet spoke? Well, duh. <laughs> now, Yahweh says, I do this not for your sakes, Israel, but for my holy name's sake. At that point in time, now it's, it's that and the immediate things that follow in the first half of the tribulation, which to me pretty much is right in line with 
right after the Ezekiel War. That's me. Um, they, 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 they turn their attention to their Judaism because the Antichrist makes these promises, the covenant, the seven-year covenant that's made in, in uh, Daniel. And so they, 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 they begin to build their temple and all this kind of stuff. So, so you see, they're still, they're still far away from Christ. They're not there yet until the abomination of desolation, which is the Antichrist, walks into the temple that he allowed them to rebuild and says, oh, by the way, I'm God, you know, and forces the world to worship him and his false prophet leads his conspiracy against everybody else. And it's at that point in those three and a half years that Israel really begins to turn to Christ. Yet, and I used to be in the clothing business. I've told you this before. It's just a fact. This is just a statement of fact. In the clothing world in those days, I don't know how it is now, but in the clothing world in those days, most, most of the executives and the owners of the clothing businesses that we dealt with were Jewish people. We had a particular line of clothes. We, we had a very large department that sold big and tall stuff. We, we did it before anybody else was doing it. You had to go to Birmingham or Owens Department Store. Um, and so we had a, a many, and these were multi-million dollar businesses, but the interesting thing was the guy that owned the biggest part of the company was also the main salesman. He didn't sit in an office somewhere. I mean, he got out there. He was going to shake the bushes. And boy, they could talk your ears. And they, they met their match in my daddy. <laughs> uh, as, and, and a lot of times they would curse and swear, you know, and it was just, man, I had grown up in church and I had had such, and I still do, have such high regard for the Jewish people. Um, and I, in business, I saw a side here that wasn't very pleasant or lovely. But when they get to know you, see, that, that whole thing's kind of a game. It's just a, a, a sales intimidation thing, you know. They couldn't do that to my daddy. I know daddy, this particular guy, he was really a nice guy. But when he started talking sales to daddy, they would get in this argument. And uh, daddy could just about out-talk him. And he'd come out with a swear word or two, and he'd say, Paul, I think you're a Jew. <laughs> and my daddy would say, thank you. My master is a Jew. Uh, so I, taught, I, I really became friends with this particular guy. He sold V-Line clothing. It was the, they're not in business anymore, but, uh, and I guess he's very dead. It's been so long. But he, I could, he was entertaining, and he and I would have a lot of discussions. And I would discuss our Christianity with him. And uh, they're loaded for bear when you discuss Christianity with them. You know, they're loaded for, for bear. But he's a Charles. He's a Yankee guy. You know, he's a Charles. I got to tell you. So he said, our belief is 
that Abraham did for us what, what you think Jesus of Nazareth did for you. God was so impressed with the righteousness of Abraham that God declared that all of Abraham's children will share in his righteousness. Now, that's what he believed. He said, now, I'm a modern Jew. I don't do any of that stuff. And he told me there were three or four different kinds of Jews, Orthodox Jew, uh, traditional Jew. He was a modern Jew. He didn't worship anything. He just said, you know, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. And I was just, I was just taken aback by a, Jew, a, a, Jew, a Jewish guy whose people had survived miraculously in history. And he just was flippant about the existence of God. And he said, so, you know, he said, so we don't really worry about the afterlife. Abraham has taken care of it for us. Uh, so I said, oh, okay. Now, my point is this. People in the time of the church can only be saved through Christ. But there is a remnant of Israel who are saved and are in Christ. They're part of the church, but there are of the seed of Abraham some who, you know, there's a remnant, they're saved, but they can, Paul writes about that in Romans. So they can only be saved in Christ uh, in these days. And, and the grafting and all, you're going to silence this thing for me. Um, but here's the thing, in a physical sense, God can do one thing, or the people of God in, in, in apologetics, biblical apologetics, there's one thing that the world cannot argue with, and it is this, Israel still exists. They're still here. We know historically, even today, the great attempt to destroy these people, and there aren't that many of them in the world. My understanding is there's less than 20 million. Most, the heaviest population, of course, in Israel, second heaviest population is in the United States of America. And God has given this promise to preserve them. And if nothing else can prove, can prove the power of God and the existence of God, then it would be the nation of Israel. Because combined Gentile powers, the strongest in the world in, in history, have tried their best to stamp out the Jewish people. And they cannot do it. Well, that brings me back to this passage of Scripture. 430 years, and now there weren't that many that went in there to begin. What was it, 70 of them, something like that? There weren't that many that went in there, but 430 years later, two million plus come out of there. For all that time, at the end of 430 years, the legions, the hosts of Yahweh, went out of the land of Egypt. It is a night, this is just really interesting, it is a night of anticipation for Yahweh. To take them out of the land of Egypt, this night is Yahweh's guarding all the children of Israel throughout their generations. you see that? Now you take that with other things that I've referenced here. 
God has made this promise to physically preserve them. That doesn't mean that they're automatically saved like that guy said to me. You know, hey, we, we have Abraham's blood. We're, even Jesus addressed that. It's, it's not the blood of Abraham that saves you. Uh, that may pulse in your veins. But they did have this, this special preservation. Not because, they, and many times in the Old Testament, it's pointed out they didn't deserve it. They, they didn't deserve it at all. But it was the Word of God that was at stake here. God made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He also promised that their descendants would inherit the land and that they would be almost innumerable, the sands of the sea, the stars of the sky. So now they've grown from that three score and ten to this millions plus of people. And the promise is still here. Yahweh guards all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Verse 43, Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover sacrifice. No estranged one may, take, may partake of it. Okay, so he's going to say, who can take of the, who can take of Passover? Who can, who can partake of Passover and who cannot? And here's, I've, I've underlined the reference to circumcision all the way through, and here is why. It wasn't an ethnic thing even then. It wasn't an ethnic thing that made you a part of the people who could partake in the Passover. It was a spiritual thing. Right, so look at this. Every man's slave purchased for his money, you shall circumcise him. He'll be permitted to partake of Passover. So he's part of y'all. He, he's, he's, he's your servant. He's your bond servant. He's your slave. You've purchased him. And... He can be part of your family. He's, he's, he, he can do this. A sojourner or a hired hand may not. So there's a difference made there. It must be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the meat out of the house to the outside, nor shall you break any of its bones. The entire community of Israel shall make it. And should a proselyte reside with you, a foreigner who has become a Jew, he shall make a Passover sacrifice to Yahweh. All his males shall be circumcised. And then, in other words, they have voluntarily placed themselves under the covenant of Abraham. Then he may approach to make it, and he will be like the native of the land, but no uncircumcised male may partake of it. So you see, the covenant, the, the spiritual bond here, is not just an ethnic thing, although by and large it was ethnic. Yet still, there were those who were not born as Israelites, but they became Israelites. Uh, and uh, Caleb is a case in point, you know, over in what? Book of uh, Joshua, Caleb. Caleb was one of only two of that generation who came into, who crossed the Jordan. All of their peers and, and, and people of their age and older died in the wilderness, but Caleb and Joshua, who gave a good report to the Lord, were permitted to come alive across the Jordan. He was, he was beyond 80 years old when he reminded Joshua that the Lord had said he's going to have this very particular special land and it's going to be in his, his inheritance. Well, he was a, a Kenizzite. 
That meant that he was an Edomite. He was a descendant of Esau. He was not a descendant of Jacob, of Israel. But he lived with Judah. He, he aligned himself with Judah. So you see there's an allowance here. It's a, it's a spiritual thing uh, and not just an ethnic thing. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who resides in your midst. All the children of Israel did as Yahweh had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. It came to pass on that very day that Yahweh took the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt with their legions. Who took them out of Israel? Yahweh took them out of Israel. The point needs to be made that this is a personal thing with Yahweh. Yahweh is personally engaged with these people. We're going to see more about that as we go along. Now we're going to go into chapter 13. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, Sanctify to me, separate to me, every firstborn, everyone that opens the womb among the children of Israel, among man, among animals, it's mine. Moses said to the people, Remember this day when you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for with a mighty hand Yahweh took you out of here, and therefore no leaven shall be eaten. Today you're going out in the month of Aviv, and it will come to pass that Yahweh will bring you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swore to your forefathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, and you shall perform this service in this month. Okay, now what's going on in the land? What's going on in the land is God allowed, permitted, or put people there to tend the land and to keep it until the true owner of the land came in to inhabit it, namely Israel. So here's, here's the thing. We studied this when we went through Joshua on, on Wednesday nights sometime back. They didn't really belong in the land, but they were permitted to stay there and tame the land you remember when Israel, we saw this in Joshua. When Israel went into the land after getting out of Egypt and finally wandering for 40 years, then crossed the Jordan, went into the land, the land was already prepared for them. It was already flowing with milk and honey. They already had pasture land. Uh, they already had everything set up. You know, the, the, the bees were, were tending to the pollen and Honey was everywhere and flowers were everywhere and pasture land, rich pasture land that, that produced strong beef and, and good milk and, and animals in the pasture. That's because in the plan of God, he permitted people to stay there in a land that wasn't theirs. They had a job to do. But we also see in the lives of these people that they were pagan. They did not believe, they obviously didn't believe that this land belonged to the seed of Abraham, and they did not believe in the true and living God. So it's, it's, not like they were, it's not like they were unfairly treated by the people of God. Of course, God, <laughs> he owns everything. He can do with it what he wants to and give, give it to whom he wishes. And you shall perform this service in this month. For seven days you'll eat unleavened cakes. On the seventh day, there's a festival for Yahweh. 
Unleavened cakes shall be eaten during the seven days, and no leaven shall be seen of yours in your possession, and no leavening shall be seen of yours throughout all of your borders. Uh, Zola Levitt, you may or may not have ever heard of Zola Levitt. He's dead now, but he used to, he's a Jewish man, but he's a Christian. He was a Christian. He had a show, Zola Levitt Presents, or just Zola Levitt. He wrote songs. He wrote Jewish songs. Uh, and, of course, he was a master of the Hebrew language. And he came, he came to, and, uh, and uh, was with us in Key West for a service. And I got him to lead us through the, through the particulars of Passover. He dressed up in his dress and taught us how in the day or two leading up to Passover, it was a game for the little children. They had little spoons, looked like shovels, and little brushes, and they were to go around the edges and into the corners and sweep up all breadcrumbs, everything that had leaven to it, uh, and to see who could collect the most, so that as far as they could, they cleansed their houses of leaven. They didn't want any leaven anywhere. Uh, so there was, it, was a very, it was a very serious thing and still is uh, for the Jewish people. No leaven shall be, verse 7, no leaven shall be seen of yours in your possession, that is. No leavening shall be seen in yours throughout all of your borders. And you shall tell your son on that day saying, because of this, Yahweh did this for me when I went out of Egypt. You see, this is a great testimony. I don't, I don't equate it with the Lord's Supper, but I see some parallels here. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. The great sacrifice, the great blood that was shed, the one sacrifice, the blood of which, when applied to our lives, the blood of whom, when applied to our lives, causes the Lord to pass over us and there's no judgment on us. Uh, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of parallels here uh, between that and this. Well, they're told here to remember. See verse 9. It shall be to you as a sign upon your hand and as a remembrance between your eyes in order that the law of Yahweh shall be in your mouth. For with a mighty hand, Yahweh took you out of Egypt. And you shall keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. I mean, from then on, they had to keep doing it because the reason they are a people today is because God passed over them in the night of the Passover when that final plague came upon Egypt and they emerged as a nation. They walked out of there as a nation. It will come to pass when Yahweh will bring you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your forefathers and he has given it to you that you shall give over to Yahweh whatever opens the womb and every miscarriage that opens the womb of an animal which will be yours. The males belong to Yahweh. Every firstborn donkey you shall redeem with a lamb and if you do not redeem it, you shall decapitate it and every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And it will come to pass that if your son asks you in the future, saying, what is this? You shall say to him, with a mighty hand, did Yahweh take us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage? Now, the firstborn in the Israelite culture 
had privileges that the other kids didn't have. He had double inheritance, for example. The household of his father became his. The others were cared for in a special way, but the, but the firstborn had, uh, had, had special privileges. And this, this redemption also shows how, how the Lord will, will preserve these people generation after generation, families by families, generation uh, after generation. The firstborn of the animals becomes a sacrifice. Everything after, you know, this is yours, Lord. This is, this is a holy thing. If your son asks in the future, what is this? You shall say with a mighty hand, did Yahweh take us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage? came to pass when Pharaoh was too stubborn to let us out. Yahweh slew every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I slaughter for a sacrifice all males that open the womb, and every firstborn of my sons I will redeem. And it shall be for a sign upon your hand and for ornaments between your eyes. And For with a mighty hand did Yahweh take us out of Egypt. It came to pass when Pharaoh let the people go that Elohim did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, for it was near, because Elohim said, lest the people reconsider when they see war and return to Egypt. So what does this mean? Well, if they would have gone in that direction, there were fortresses, there were Egyptian fortresses all over the place out there because that's where unfriendly people were, and they were, they were the most likely to, to attack Egypt. So, so... God said, you know, I don't want them to see war just yet. They're not ready for this. So I want you to, I'm going to lead them another way. Uh, I'm going to take them somewhere else. Uh, so you'll see in verse 17, Elohim did not lead them that way because it was, a, it was a way that would have been uncomfortable. They would have been discomfited in that way and they would have had war before, before it was time. So Elohim led the people around by the desert to the Red Sea, and the children of Israel were in orderly ranks when they went up to Egypt. Now, that also means, that Hebrew word also means they were armed. So they were, they were put in ranks. They were already uh, prepared for war as they marched. And who better to do that than Moses? He was a general. He was a commanding general of the mighty Egyptian army. Moses took Joseph's bones with him, for he, that is Joseph, had adjured the sons of Israel, saying, Elohim will surely remember you, and you shall bring up my bones from here with you. So the covenant, Joseph, even in the best of times for Israel, Joseph was saying, it's good right now, but this is not your home. Elohim has made a covenant, Yahweh has made a covenant with my forefathers, and he's going to keep that covenant. He's going to remember. And when you come up out of this land, bring my bones with you because that's the land where I belong. They traveled from Sukkot. They, they encamped in Etham at the edge of the desert. And Yahweh went before them. Very personal for Yahweh, okay? Nothing is going to happen to them. They are in the care, personal care of Yahweh. Yahweh went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to cause it to lead them on the way and at night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Thus they could travel day and night. 
He did not move away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire at night from before the people. So they were, they were divinely guided and they were also divinely protected. You know, uh, who's going to try to get past a pillar of fire? Uh, it's, it's not going to happen. So the point is that Yahweh has taken very personal attention in this whole process because these are his people he is a redeeming God. He has established a covenant and nothing in earth, under earth, above the earth, nothing ever will, will keep this covenant from being fulfilled. Absolutely nothing. Even today, even today with regard to the covenant of the land, the people in the land, and they have never enjoyed the fullness of the boundaries that God had promised. They have, even in Solomon's day, they had never completely inhabited the whole land that God promised to them, was given to them. Someday, that'll all happen. Jesus will oversee that. Um, but nothing is going to stop that from happening, and that covenant is still active today in a physical sense for those people. Now, they have to come to Christ to be saved. That's very clear, especially the book of Romans. Um, but even so, the word of God will, will, not, will not fall helpless. Uh, God will see to it that he maintains what he said he was going to do uh, for this particular group of people uh, all the way through to its fulfillment in the millennial kingdom of the Lord. Well, we're going to stop there. And... We'll be through. Let's pray. Father, how we love you, how we marvel at your word. Thank you, Lord, that even in that day you were thinking of us and what you were going to do for our salvation. We rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen.